Amen. Acts chapter 10. It's verse 38. If you're there, if you can stand. We'll read the verse together this morning. Just this one verse. Acts 10 and verse 38. Amen. <clears throat> Let's read it all together. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Father, this morning we pray for your help and for your anointing upon your word. Lord, we ask this morning that you would, Lord, just come among us by your Spirit. Lord, this anointing, Lord, that we are reading off would be so fresh and so real, Lord, in our gathering this morning. Lord, that you would touch us afresh, you would anoint us afresh. Lord, that the anointing would destroy every yoke. Oh God, this morning, Lord, you know the great need amongst your people, Lord. Lord, not even just here in this local assembly, but Lord, just across this land, Lord, your church, Lord, your people, Lord, your bride, Lord, needs a fresh anointing, Lord, for the day in which you've called us to, for the time, Lord, in which we're in, Lord, we pray for a fresh anointing upon our lives, Lord, upon the ministry, upon the work, O oh God, we ask, O oh God, that you would move by your mighty power, Lord, that you would glorify your name, O oh God, Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. This morning, the title is The Good or the Gold. And in this verse, we read of this wonderful anointing that was upon the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. He was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and he healed all, all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. It's the anointing. We know and we read that destroys the yoke. It's the power of God. I know there are many times that we hear messages on the anointing. There's different maybe views or angles or thoughts that people would bring forth on the anointing. We uh, preach about the anointing. We pray. It's been prayed several times this morning in the prayer meeting about the anointing of God to be upon us, a fresh anointing. Uh, we sing about the anointing. And uh, I've heard many different messages on the anointing or exactly what it is. But what we know the anointing, what the manifestation of the anointing is this, that it is the Holy Ghost and it is the power of God. And there is the healing and the deliverance of all that are oppressed of the devil. That is the manifestation of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. It is when those that are oppressed of the devil that are bound with chains, with sickness, with disease, that are oppressed in their mind, that are broken in their hearts, that are bound by the chains of sin and wickedness, the demoniacs, whoever it is, wherever they are, wherever they're from. But when the anointing of God begins to move, then we see that the oppressed are set free and they are delivered by the power of Jesus Christ. And we pray for a fresh anointing upon the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, needs the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We need the anointing for the days in which we're living in. We need the anointing for our homes. We need the anointing to be the fathers that He wants us to be. We need the anointing for the mothers that He wants us to be. We need the anointing for the individuals that He's called us to. Our young need the anointing. The old need the anointing. The church of Jesus Christ needs the anointing. It's the power of God. It's the Holy Spirit. And we need the anointing in the days in which we're living. In the Bible, the, the goal that you often read about, particularly in the Old Testament, is symbolic of the divine presence of God. When the ark was overlaid with gold and the wood, it was speaking of the humanity and the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is fully man and fully God. And the gold speaks of His divine presence. And that ark was central to that Old Testament uh, people that the ark of the covenant was everything. It was the central piece uh, in that tabernacle and in the tabernacle and, and also in the temple. And it spoke of the, the presence of the Lord being amongst the people. And so often we have come to a day that uh, we are able to discern that which is good and that which is evil. 
It was Charles Spurgeon that said, it is not enough to discern between the good and the evil, but he said we must discern between that which is good and that which is almost good. And that takes something of the Holy Ghost to give us a discernment. We have been looking over the past few weeks, last week particularly at the churches in Revelation. If you turn back to it, I just feel the Lord has kept me in this place um, over these number of weeks. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, I suppose in some ways, I'll be honest, I felt I would want to have moved on, but He hasn't allowed me to move much further than where we have been. But in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2, we read there of the Lord amongst the churches of Revelation. And in here, in the church at Ephesus, He said to them in verse 2, that I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience, and I know that thou canst not bear them which are evil. The church had the ability, the people in Ephesus had the ability to be able to discern that which was good and that which is evil. I believe it's so much easier today to discern between the good and the evil because we're living in such a wicked day and, and the church can see that which is the good and that which is evil. And, and then he said, and, and you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not. There was an element, there was a, there was a measure of discernment within the church at Ephesus that uh, at this time when there was false teachers, false prophets, like there will be in the last days, there's always been false teachers and false prophets, but we know one of the indications of the last days is there'll be an increase of false teachers and false prophets, false Christ, that is very evident. But the church at Ephesus was able to discern not only between the good and the evil, but also right into those that were false teachers and found them out to be liars. They were able to discern false doctrine, false teaching, uh, doctrines of devils, which will be very rampant in the last days, the days in which we are now living but here we see in the opening of that verse, if you go back to it, the Lord says, I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience. There was a, a church that was very active, very active in the things of which we would modernly call ministry. There was a very active church in ministry. That term's used a lot, and I don't believe, I believe it's overused, to be honest. But we look at this and say this is the church that had a lot of ministry and works and labor and in patience. But you know, the good, the good can rob us of the gold. The good can rob us of the gold. Jesus said in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat, remember this is the Lord speaking to the church. He says, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left your first love. They were a very active church. They were what we would say a good church with good works. And those works were vital. Those works aren't wrong. But the good of the church was substituted for the gold. And the good can rob us off that which is the gold. The gold is the anointing. It is the divine presence of God. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus then says in verse 4 that I have somewhat against thee because you have left your first love. Remember therefore from whence thou hast fallen and repent. And do the first works. Don't continue in the works that you're doing. Don't just carry on and throw the message over your shoulder. But he calls the church back to a place of repentance. Because there was a side of this that was that we were carrying on. And if this is only a message for me, then it's a message for me. If it's not a message for anyone else, then it's not a message for anyone else, but it is a message for me. There is the outward workings of what we now call in the modern church ministry. And a lot of it is good. But the good has robbed us of the anointing. It's robbed us of the gold. And Jesus says, Remember therefore whence thou hast fallen and repent because there was a, a forsaking of that which is the most important thing. 
that which, which is the love of Christ, the intimacy of a relationship with, with the Lord. And he begins to speak into the church's heart, the very center of everything, <clears throat> into the heart of the individuals. He begins to plead because they were carrying on in the outward uh, ministry as it like what we call it. And that's not just, it's, it's all of what we do, but I'm not saying all of it is, you know, it's, it's on to the Lord. I appreciate that. But the Lord seen it in a much deeper way. It was going to a different place because there was a lot of good, but the good had robbed them of the gold because subconsciously, not deliberately, but subtly, and this is what happens, and this is what has happened, and I believe this is what's happened in a broader scale across the church today, that we elevate so much of the good that's taken place in the outward and the works. And we say, this is the anointing. This is the anointing. We use that term so casually. We say, this is the anointing. This is the anointing. <clears throat> and the anointing or the manifestation of the anointing is that there is the power of God to heal those that are oppressed of the devil, set the captive free. So the Lord's speaking into the church and He says, remember that you have fallen and repent. He pleads with the church to come to a place of repentance and do the first works. Go back to what this is all about. Go back to what we've been singing about this morning. Go back to Calvary. Go back to what this is really all about. Go back to that place where I first met with you, where I saved you, where I washed you, where I put my joy into your heart. I give you that song. Go back to the place where that love so filled your heart and you were so um, um, overcome with the joy of the Lord and the love of Christ. Go back to that place of intimacy and he's pleading uh, with the church that they would repent. He's calling for repentance. And there's a subconscious of us all that by doing, that that is the anointing and the anointing isn't in the doing. I'm not saying there won't be the doing because when he anoints, there is the good works. And that is the oppressed or delivered. And then he says, I will come quickly if we won't repent, and I will remove thy candlestick out of this place. It was a candlestick all of gold. It spoke of the divine presence of God that's everything. He says, I will take the candlestick out of this place except thy repent. Often we don't see it because it's subtle. But the good can be the robber of the gold. You know, it tells us in 1 Samuel, if you turn back, 1 Samuel chapter 11, sorry, chapter 15, but if you go to chapter 15 for a moment, I just want to refer to chapter 11. But there's a man, his name was Saul. <clears throat> he was the king of Israel. And Saul knew what the anointing was. He knew the anointing. I'm going to leave a lot of this here to the theologians and work all this out because I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. But he was anointed. The Spirit of the Lord was upon his life. We know in the end that the Holy Ghost had departed from him. Again, I'm leaving this to... We've been debating this for a couple of thousand years and haven't got it sorted out, so I'm not going to get it sorted out this morning. But he did experience the anointing, what it was to walk with God. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul's life. He knew the anointing. He experienced, he experienced the power of God upon him. He experienced the victory that there was through the anointing. He had victory, as we would say, in Jesus. He had the power of God on his life. He knew what he could sense the anointing. He experienced the anointing. He seen the victory and he experienced the victory when the anointing was upon him. 
In 1 Samuel 15, we read that he's sent out to do a, a task that the Lord had asked him to do against the Amalekites, the enemy, to, to completely and utterly destroy them and everything that they had. And so, and the people went out, but they decided in that great battle, remember he is the anointed of God, he was the king, they decided in the midst of that great battle that they would spare some. They would, they would partially obey what the Lord was asking them to do. And verse 15 says, Saul said, they have brought them as Samuel the prophet has come and asked of Saul what has happened, what's taken place. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and the rest they have utterly destroyed. The Lord had told them to destroy everything. But they believed that they were doing right. They were doing good in order that they would keep something that was the best of the sheep and the oxen. And they had an idea that this would be a lovely thing that we could give this to the Lord. We're keeping this for the Lord. That actually sounds really, it's a good thing. And then in verse 20, Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've done exactly what the Lord has told me to do. I've gone the way which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek. I've destroyed, utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. And what they've decided to do, Samuel, is we are going to give this to the Lord. Samuel says how the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices. As in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, he said, it is better to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. So what basically Samuel saying to Saul, he's saying, Saul, you may sacrifice all your sheep and all your oxen. What the Lord is actually asking of us is better to obey. And then he says these words in verse 23, for rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. We know Galatians chapter 5 that the term witchcraft is found in the, in the flesh. It's one of the works of the flesh. But yet witchcraft is a demonic activity. How could it be? a work of the flesh and a demonic activity. It begins as a work of the flesh, but it opens the door for demonic activity. And then it says this, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he's also rejected thee from being king. Because Saul believed it was a good idea to keep the best. And the good became the robber of the anointing. The man that was anointed to be king and experienced the mighty victory of God, tells us here that he's rejected and the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. Do you know, Paul says these words, if you turn over to it in Romans 7 and verse 18, he said these words in Romans 7 and verse 18, <clears throat> For I know... And this is a really good thing to know. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, would you read the next four words with me? Dwelleth no good thing. That's an amazing revelation. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Jesus actually said, there is none good but one, and that's God. What we find today is that the good is mistaken for that which is the gold. And the doing and the present and the sacrifice and the service, which is all important, but all of that is secondary to our intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ all our gifts and all of our talents, and we often hear it said, it was really good. 
What without the anointing? It's all nothing. With no anointing, it's nothing. And we as a modern church, I say this collectively across the board, we have everything. We have all. We have never been more advanced. We have never had more technology. We have never had more things that we can have. But yet, in the face of a demonic world, the rise of an antichrist system, and a world that is completely possessed of the devil, it is the anointing that will destroy the powers of hell and darkness. A number of years ago, <clears throat> I know I've shared it before, but I'll share it again. But a number of years ago, I had the great privilege of going to an underground church up in the mountains of Bhutan. I know I've shared it, but I want to share it again. Then the cover of darkness late at night, they I made the preparation for us to make our way down uh, up the mountains. And then we got up the mountain, and then we had to go down the mountainside. It was dark. They said, just turn your torch light on. There's four or five of us. We're at Gordon. And we're going down this little narrow path. We could hear a river at the bottom. We came to the river. There was a plank that went across the river. One by one, we're going across the river. And then we started to see a little flicker of a light. There was a little house just on down. This is where a little church would meet, an underground church. You know, there's the state church, but like, a bit like China, there's an underground church. As we got closer and closer to this building, we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what was going to happen. We got to the door. The door opened. And there was maybe a room, or maybe an eighth to the size of this place, just an ordinary size room. And in that room, there was crammed about 60 men, women, and children. We closed the door. The candlestick was there. The anointing of God began to move. I don't over-exaggerate. I try not to. I want to tell it as real as it was. But it was as close that I've ever came to, to the upper room. The people had nothing. Talked to a girl of 23. Her parents are in prison. For their faith, wonderfully saved. Put in prison. And she is now trying to keep another little church going that her dad had started while her daddy's in prison and her mommy's in prison, 23 years old. She says, we're being persecuted. We're being tried. We're being mocked. But the Lord's brought us through and the Lord's sustaining us. And in that little meeting, they began to sing the songs of Zion. I couldn't sing it because it was a different language. It was a different tune. And it wouldn't have helped if I joined in. I probably would have threw it all. But in the midst of it all, there was the anointing of the Holy Ghost. In some ways, it leaves you jealous. Because in all that we have, I want to make this very clear. You might think that I don't appreciate. I just want to say, I have sat in this building on my own. I've wept tears of gratefulness to what the Lord has done. But this is not a replacement for the presence of the Lord. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, if you turn over, <clears throat> He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the anointing. This is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. This is what the anointing will do. It is real. It is powerful. It is the Holy Ghost. It is Christ by the power of His Spirit coming to heal those that are broken in heart. And is our world not filled with people that are broken? It is to come to those who are, in, who are bound by sin or captives to the power of Satan, who are held in dungeons, prison houses of sin, but it is the anointing that delivers. It delivers those that are bound in chains and in dungeons of, 
of sin and held captive by the devil himself. It is the anointed that recovers recovers the sight of the blind. It sets those that are bruised. It's a world that's so bruised. It's a world that is so broken. It is a world that is lost. It doesn't know where to turn, who to turn to. It is filled with confusion and fear. And not knowing, and they're turning to the vices of the world, even the medical vices of the world, to try and cope with everyday life. But yet, the Bible tells me that there is anointing. The prophet says that there is a, a yoke will be destroyed because that there is an anointing. There's an anointing that destroys the powers of hell. God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and they, He healed all that were oppressed, that were oppressed of the devil. This world is being oppressed by the spirit of this age. There is an oppression that you sense in lives and people constantly not knowing where to turn, but yet the church has been given an anointing. It's understood to be many things, but I simply believe it's the manifest presence of Jesus breaking the chains of sin and setting the demoniac free, delivering those that are bound by sin, whether it be alcohol or drugs or sexual immorality or homosexuality. Thank God tonight that the, this morning the anointing delivers all men. It sets all captives free. There is no sin that's too great or too grievous we may And our pride and our arrogance think that we're not as bad as anyone else, but the same blood that delivered you is the same blood that delivers them. And there's a world that's confused. There's a, there's a generation that's coming up that don't know who they are. They don't even know the very basics of who they are. What will, what will reach them? What will enter into their lives to bring them into a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it is not by might nor by power, but it is by my spirit, saith the Lord. It will not be all the good things that we have that will reach them. It is going to be the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Gold in the Bible speaks of that divine presence. The presence of the Lord. But we become so accustomed to the good, so accustomed to the good that it has robbed us of something that's vital to the church, and that is the anointing. The early church was so anointed. It was so anointed. Can I show you what it looked like if you turn over to Acts chapter 5, verse 15? Actually, take it from verse 11, Acts 5 and 11. And this is just after God moved upon the church. There was hypocrisy about to enter into the church. There was a man and a woman we know that held back and they lied to the Holy Ghost and they were both struck dead. This is in the New Testament. And God moved very quickly. But then it says in verse 12, And by the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were wrought among the people. They were all in one accord in Solomon's porch and of the rest, there's no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them, and the believers were more added to the church, both multitudes of both men and women, multitudes of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing, passing by might overshadow them. That is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. That is not because Peter was great. That is that the man was so full of the Holy Ghost that the anointing of God, the very shadow of Peter, that God would heal, that He would deliver, that He would raise off their sick beds. This, this is the Scripture. This is the truth. And then it says, There came also a multitude of, out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Every one was healed. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke and the power of hell. Would you go back over into Revelation chapter 2, please, just again, the, the church at Ephesus. We've already read it, but I want to read it again. For some reason, I can't move away from these verses. They've been so... Heavy just for a number of weeks. 
the Lord says, nevertheless, I've somewhat against thee because you've left your first love. He says, remember where you've fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come quickly and I will remove the candlestick out of this place, his place, except I repent. It was the cry, it was the plead of the Lord. Now there was a church that really rested in its good works. It was a good church. It had it, it done a lot of good things. I'm not saying that, that, that this is this church. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that this was Ephesus. And yet the Lord, when He looked in, He seen that there was, there was no communion. There was no communion with the Lord. There was a lot of good works. But the good had robbed them of the gold, of the anointing, of the presence of the Lord. And so the Lord's standing in the midst of that church and He's saying, I want you to come to me. I want to have communion with you. I'm not here to drive you away. I'm not here to drive you. I'm here to call you to me. I want you to come. We would be naive at best to ignore, believe that the scripture we're reading this morning is irrelevant to me, to you, or to our day. And the warning expressed to the church at Ephesus would never be carried out. If you look at church history, you'll find that it is littered with former monuments, works, great cathedrals and buildings that were once birthed in the power of the Holy Ghost that seen revivals, that seen the move of the Spirit of God sweep over nations. I'll give you one example. For example, the Methodist church that was birthed in the fire and in the power of the Holy Ghost, not in its entirety today. I'm not saying that, but largely from what it was. So for us to sit today and say, this is, this is not about me, Tim. This doesn't apply to me. Or, Tim, are you trying to get at me? I'm not trying to get at anybody. We would be naive to think that it doesn't apply to me, to you, or to us, or to the church today. It has everything when the lampstand is central. That's Christ. Actually, it's vital. When the lampstand, that's Jesus, is revered and above all things He has the preeminence and I know that's our heart and I know that's your heart and it's respected and it's honored that everything of this work, that everything of what we do, the whole essence of that and the purpose of that is because we love the presence of God. When the oil begins to flow, in Exodus chapter 27, if you turn back to it, the golden lampstands that were in that tabernacle. But in Exodus chapter 27, I want to show you why it's so crucial. And we might know this. We might understand this, but it's really what the Lord thinks is important. In Exodus chapter 27 and verse 20, He says there, And I shall command the children of Israel that they bring the pure oil, olive, beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. We are a city that's set on a hill. Our lights to shine. This is the darkest hour that we have witnessed. But this is the time for the church to shine. And how does she shine? How truly will she shine? She needs the oil. But that oil, that pure oil, that holy oil, speaking of the Holy Ghost, has been beaten in order to bring forth that light that speaks of the, of the cross of Christ and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fullness of that, that work in Calvary. It's the Holy Ghost that will bring all of what Christ has done in Calvary and illuminate it. And it will begin to shine. Shine into this world. It's no small thing as the beams 
of divine glory begin to penetrate into the realms of spiritual darkness, into the hearts that are overcome, in the minds that are tormented, in the souls that are bound for hell, and the shining light begins to pierce the darkness. It's the gold. But to lose the lampstand, to lose the presence of God, and I know people have different views. Again, I know the theologians will argue over it, but I see it clearly in Scripture, to lose the lampstand, to lose the presence of God. I want to tell you, friend, you've lost everything. You've lost everything. Samson lost everything when he lost the Spirit of God. He lost everything. He wished not that the Spirit had departed from him. He got up. He was going to do it like he's always done it. But the Spirit had departed. In Hebrews chapter 2, if you turn over to it, it says these words, Hebrews 2 and verse 3. How shall we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How? We often preach that, of course, to the sinner, but what about the believer? You see, friend, it's not about what you did 30 years ago. It's not about the decision, and that might be important what you made when you were five or you're six. What's the reality is, are you walking with God today? Are you living for Jesus today? Are you abiding in the vine today? Are you going on with God today? Are you in a place of communion with the Lord today? Are you trusting in the Lord today? Are you still walking with the Lord? The Bible says, He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. I hear a lot of people tell us often now that, well, years ago I made a decision and I thank God for that decision, but today I don't bother with it, but I'm trusting in that decision that I made 25 years ago. I want to tell you what that is, friends. I'm not trying to be offensive to people. That's a false profession. That's a serious thing. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which first began to be spoken by the Lord which was confirmed unto us by them that heard it? God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, the anointing according to His own will. To lose the ark and the old was to lose absolutely everything. To lose the presence of God is everything. To carry on in the outward but not to know and to walk and experience and have intimacy with Jesus Christ, to endure and to abide in Him. I want to tell you, friends, a false profession is not going to keep us in this day. Religious activity is not going to keep us in this hour. Yes, I know I would like to share something else this morning or preach something else, but God will not let me leave these verses. These have been so heavy. There's been nights of waiting before the Lord, asking the Lord, but this keeps coming. I don't know why, but I have to be faithful to what He asked me to say. I don't say it in any other way, but He says, you've left. Your first love. We can get involved in all the COVID and the vaccines and the passports and everything. We can get involved in all of that. But friends, I want to tell you what's most important above everything else is communion with Jesus. It's breaking bread with the Lord. It's spending time and just talking to the Lord. It's not doing but it's just waiting upon Him. It's His presence that makes the feast. And we can be so easily caught up in doing all these things and believe that they're good and there's a place for them because we have to be watchful. We need to know I'm not in any way putting anything down. What I'm saying is these things can't be a replacement for communion. Eli sat as a 98-year-old man, he's been the high priest for 40 years. And as they went out the war against the Philistines, the word came back. 
that his sons Hophni and Phinehas was dead. And then he heard these awful words. And the ark of God was taken. You know what it says? When he made mention of the ark of God, not his sons, when he made mention of the ark of God, it says he fell from his seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck did break and he died. He was the judge in Israel for 40 years. His daughter-in-law gave birth, as we know, to Ichabod, which means the glory had departed. The golden candlestick is a representation of the divine presence of God, enabling the church by the power and with the power of the Holy Ghost to function in God's eyes it, legitimate, it makes the church a legitimate gathering. See, I don't really mind. It doesn't really bother me. Honestly, it doesn't. What people call us, whether it's a circus, we've been called that, or a cult, or not a proper church, or not a proper minister, I don't really care. That really doesn't bother me. Or a dropout church, or whatever they want to call us, that really doesn't bother None of that bothers me. All I'm interested in is his presence. The removal of the candlestick means we have no anointing. And the candlestick is crucial for the divine light to illuminate from the any assembly piercing the darkness, the spiritual darkness. Friends, the only remedy against the powers of hell and darkness is the presence of God, nothing else. Above everything else, it is the matter that should demand our attention and our careful examination. But I do know that there are some will feel it's not for them. I do know that. How subtle the enemy is in deceiving the flesh of man to say that we're doing good. But the discernment in the church today is to say that the good is the gold. The good is the gold. And we won't even miss the candlestick when it's gone. The good has been exalted today to say this is the anointing. When it's just the good. Now before we become too smart, Even some of the greatest prophets of Scripture, the greatest prophets in Scripture, were nearly, nearly fooled in the believing that the good was the anointing. If you turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 6, One Samuel sixteen and verse six, we find the great prophet Samuel standing in the house of Jesse. We see the sons of Jesse being brought before him, in order that they would be looked upon or examined, that they would be the future king. And Samuel the prophet looked upon Eliab, and Eliab, being the eldest son, of course, must have been the strongest. He was obviously a one of Saul's soldiers. He was well refined. He was, he looked the part. And so Samuel said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He believed that this was the anointed. And the Lord said unto Samuel, do not look on his countenance or the height of his stature because I have refused him for the Lord. The Lord is not looking as man seeth, for the Lord does not look on the outward appearance, but the Lord's looking on the heart. It's so profound. But yet Samuel the prophet believed that this was the Lord's anointed. So for us to then walk away from this today and say, I know what the anointing is. I'm able to tell you what the anointing is. You might be able to have certainly no problem. But the Lord doesn't look like we look. And then Abinadab comes and then Shammah comes 
And the seven sons passed before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these, because the whole focus was on the outward. The whole focus was on the outward. I think you would all agree with me that today, everything's focused on the outward. That's even in the church. Everything's focused on the outward. Isn't it good to know this morning that God doesn't look in the outward, but God looks in the heart. It says in verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil, the youngest, the most unlikely. He didn't even make the line up. It's amazing, isn't it? Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And the reason why was because he was a man that was after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. I know I'm amongst the people that are after God's own heart. I know that we're the people that want the presence of the Lord. I want to tell you, friends, never let the good rob us of the gold. Because there is gold. And that's the presence of God. We need an anointing. We have an anointing, but we need a great anointing. I'll tell you why. Because the anointing delivers the oppressed. The anointing heals those that are sick. The anointing sets the captive free. It's the anointing that opens blinded eyes. It's the anointing that sets those that are possessed of devils completely and totally free. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke. Our desire is one thing. That God, the Holy Ghost, would anoint every believer in this room afresh with the Spirit of God. I'm not interested in debating about the Holy Spirit. I'm really not. If you want to debate about it, fire on. If you want to ask what well, where it works as far as is it called this or called that or called the, I'm not interested. I want to tell you every believer, God has paid the price and the promises that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and be anointed to serve God. The hour is too late. A world is going to hell as fast as it can. But there's an anointing, a fresh anointing for you. Wherever you are, in your workplace, in your home, we need the anointing. Your desire is Him, not anything else. Big mistake we make is, God will give you our best. Song years ago, our younger sister used to sing it, Lord, I'm giving my best to you. It's a great song, but it can it can nearly it's so subtle because what we think is, Lord, I'll give you my best. I want to tell you something. God doesn't want your best, God just wants you. He doesn't want your best, He wants you. And I understand what the song means. Don't fall out with me over it. I understand what the song means. But he just wants you. When we give ourselves to him for the harvest, there's an anointing. And we need this anointing. Let's stand together this morning. I'm just going to close this the way the Lord has led me to close it.
and it's just the words of the Lord himself when he said, Nevertheless, I have something against you. Because you've left your first love. The Lord says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. And the Lord says, repent and do the first works. Repent and do the first works. Or else I will come quickly and remove the candlestick. Except, he says, thou repent. As we're praying this morning, if the Lord's speaking to you in this place, you're in this house, it doesn't really matter who you are, Front, back, side, doesn't really matter of the Lord speaking to your heart this morning. Don't think about anybody else, but of the Lord speaking to you this morning. I can assure you that he's here in the midst of the golden candlesticks. I can assure you that he's here. I can also assure you that his purpose of being here is not to drive you away or throw you out. It's to bring you on to himself. You might have been away from the Lord for a long time. You might be away from the Lord a short time. You've grown cold. And you're doing this on your good works. The Lord's saying, it's time to repent and do the first works. Get before him. Get to the cross. Get right with him this morning. And rise up from this place and leave this place, not in your strength or trusting in your own flesh, but trusting in the merits of Calvary and the finished work and the love of Christ. That's his purpose.